0: At this time, I'd like to invite our kiddos, roughly ages three through third grade, but parents, again, use your discretion, to follow Vicar Andrew and Miss Sarah out to the lobby for kid time. While they're while they're going out, you know, the, the, the lessons today, the scripture verses today uh, had a lot of hard words in there. And I, I know at the, the earliest service, you know, we have like the traditional responses, like, you know, this is the word of the Lord, this is the gospel of the Lord, and it feels a little weird to say, like, this is the gospel of the Lord, after you hear a whole bunch, of like, whoa, this is kind of dark stuff. But I'll tell you, we say it with full conviction. This is the gospel of the Lord because everything that God has spoken to us in his word is said out of love for his wayward people. It's said out of love and grace for us. And that's why we say, even with words are like, okay, uh, you know, don't do this. And we say, this is the gospel of the Lord. Say, so yeah, this is, this is from God's very voice to us out of love and mercy. That said, into today's sermon. The other day, Leah and I decided we wanted to start watching through parts of Twilight Zone. We thought we'd watch a few episodes, why not? As a kid, never wanted to watch that because I thought it was way too creepy. Anyone watch Twilight Zone? Some of you are like, okay, yeah, you're kind of a wimp. Yeah, sure, I get it. Okay, so first episode of the series, the very first one that they made, showcased a man who was in complete isolation. He's the only person in the whole town... And he starts to go nuts. Now, spoiler alert, at the end, we find out it was all a dream induced by the military to prepare this man for his lonely trip to the moon and back. And as they're trying to figure out what went wrong with the simulation, with the dream, the, the, the episode ends with this line. It says, we can feed stomachs with concentrates and we can supply microfilm for recreation, reading, even movies of a sort. We can pump oxygen in and waste material out, but there's one thing we can't simulate. That's a pretty basic need, and it's man's hunger for companionship. See, God created us with a need for companionship, to be in a relationship with him and to be in relationship with each other. And throughout the scriptures, we find there's a lot of passages that talk about relationships. Friendships, marriage, parents and children, employers and employees, the list keeps on going. God made us to be relational, and, it, and he teaches us in his word how to operate within those relationships. But one of the things that we know from experience and we see from God's word is that our enemy, the devil, likes to attack Anything that God deems important, anything that has the potential to bring God glory, anything that has the potential to represent God well or represent his church well, Satan is going to attack it. He's going to assault it. He wants nothing more than to destroy what God has created. And relationships are no different. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking and looking at various relationship killers. Four things the enemy wants and uses to hinder and to destroy our relationship with the Lord and with each other. And he does this. Satan does this because he knows that when we're isolated, we're easy prey. So today, we're starting off big. We're dealing with the relationship killer known as lust and adultery. And I know those are two words, not one. And they probably conjure up different things in in your minds. Like, in our world today, if you tell your significant other that you had a lustful thought, they certainly wouldn't be happy with you, and they would hurt. But if you told them that you committed adultery, that you cheated on them, the consequences would be vastly different, far more severe. And yet, in our gospel lesson today, Jesus equates those two. He says, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus ties lust to the sixth commandment, to not commit adultery, but also to the last commandments, to not covet. Lust is this bridge between the two. It's this passionate desire for something or someone other than what and who we have. And the point is this. Sin is not just about—it's not, not just found in the action, but in the musings of the heart and the mind. He ties them from 6th commandment to ninth and 10th commandment because he knows that your thoughts and your actions are, tie, are closed, closely tied together. What you think will affect what you do. And in terms of relationship, infidelity doesn't just happen in a relationship— There's a long line of lustful thoughts that lead up to it. And according to God, we would be fools to imagine that what happens in our hearts and in our heads won't have an effect on our relationships. For Jesus, faithfulness is not just about what we do, it's about our desires. And to be fair, God wired us with desires, including the desire for intimacy and connection. That's why he created marriage as the deepest form of commitment and companionship. The husband and the wife would no longer be two, but would be one flesh. God created us with this sexual desire, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. I know some of us probably grew up in a time where, you know, sex is like a dirty word. You can't, can't talk about that in church, right? Good Christian people should never have such desires. Well, in reality... Sex, in the context of one man, one woman, in in a committed relationship, that is, committed marriage, that's a good, that's a good and beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. It's a powerful thing. It bonds a husband and a wife together in a way that nothing else can. It's a great gift from God. It's a God-given desire. yet lust is... When we seek to satisfy that one, that that God-given desire, in an ungodly way, outside of God's appointed means, lust is a twisting of those desires. It breeds dissatisfaction, right? It'll say, lust will say, you're not having enough fun in your relationship. You're not having enough sex in your relationship. There's not enough intimacy. There's not enough uh, love. There's not enough respect given to you in your relationship. And then lust is going to point you outside of that relationship and say, and you can find all of that out there. And then you'll be really happy. Lust turns a good and God-given desire into a dangerous and a destructive thing. It's kind of like a, a fire. Right? A fire in a fireplace, it's a great thing, especially today. It right? provides warmth on a cold day. It's a unifying force in the family. It brings family members from all over the house into one area because that's where the fire is, that's where the warmth is. It's a constructive thing, it's a beneficial thing. But what happens if you take that fire out of the fireplace and you put it on your carpet? It's going to destroy some things, it's going to eat away at the carpet. There's a potential it could burn down your whole house. This thing, fire, that was created to be good, when it's taken out of its proper context, damages things. It burns. It hurts. It destroys. And that's the same with sexual desire. Within the confines of a marriage, it unifies. It bonds. But outside of that context, it damages that's what Scripture tells us in Proverbs, reminds us that a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so, what does he do? He destroys himself. And that's what we see over and over again through the pages of Scripture. The most famous example, of course, David. Right? King David, whose lusting eye nearly brought the whole kingdom to ruin. He slept with Bathsheba, he killed and he murdered her husband Uriah, and then lied to cover it all up. And he was left, at the end, with a broken family, with years of heartbreak and betrayal. His life, his reign, was destroyed. Or we may look at our first text today, from Hosea, the relationship between this prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer. And though Hosea was a faithful husband and a godly man, Gomer broke that one flesh relationship and gave herself to anyone who would have her. And the result in chapter 2 before our text was that she was destitute and she was sold into slavery. Her life, her marriage was destroyed. But if we're going to look at different relationships that were scarred by adultery, the one that is mentioned most frequently throughout the Bible is the relationship between God and his people. The prophets often warn and accuse the Israelites of lusting to be like other nations and committing adultery with other gods. That idolatry, that disobedience, their actions led and brought about exile and oppression. Their lives, their community, was destroyed. And make no mistake... They all had God-given desires, right? For beauty, for affection, for acceptance. But lust seeks to satisfy God-given desires in ungodly ways. And the result is always going to be destruction. And the sin of lust slash adultery, of trying to satisfy God-given desires in an ungodly way, it can take a lot of different forms. And we're just going to briefly look at three of them. First, probably most obvious form, is physical. It's taking sexual activity outside of the proper marital context. And not only does that include physical affairs, which breaks the vow that was made before God, and it severs that one flesh relationship, but it also includes premarital sex. Remember, it's a powerful thing. But without the commitment, without the security of marriage, what we're doing, we're setting ourselves up for a much deeper heartache if that relationship goes south, which statistically is far more likely to happen. According to a study, the National Study of Family Growth just last year, people with premarital, pe- with premarital partners are almost three times more likely to dissolve their relationships and their future marriages. It's a powerful thing. It's a fire, and it needs to be in its right context. The second form of this relationship killer, it's not physical. It's emotional. And while physical affairs seek uh, seek seek sexual gratification from someone other than their spouse, the emotional affair creates a deep intimacy that's reserved for that one flesh relationship. And though there's no sex, it's been proven to be just as damaging because it comes from a lustful heart that looks outside the relationship and says, I deserve him, or she meets my needs, or he really understands me. And as those ties are forming, the marital relationship is dissolving and trust is being broken. And the third form, it's not physical, it's not emotional, It's digital. Like the Twilight Zone, we try to simulate intimacy and companionship through pornography. Latest study is that one out of five mobile searches is related to porn. That 115 million people consume it each day. It is a plague on our society, and it destroys our capacity for actual meaningful relationships. I know with AI on the rise now, people will say, well, it's not a real person, so it doesn't matter. Then it doesn't count. But it does matter, and it does count, because you're seeking to satisfy a God-given desire in an ungodly way. If you're married, it pulls you away from that one flesh bond. And if you're not married, then it hinders your ability to develop a meaningful relationship and to have a healthy view of sexuality. All of its forms, lust and adultery, is a relationship killer. It seeks to destroy what God has given us. And it's something that we all struggle with to some degree. Maybe it's the glance that becomes a gaze. Maybe it's the image on the screen that you let linger for a while before swiping away. Maybe it's something deeper. Maybe trapped in an addiction to the dopamine hit that's induced by porn. Maybe it's a burden and a guilt that is weighed on you and you don't know how to escape. Maybe it's a physical or an emotional affair. Maybe you've been hurt by infidelity and that pain is hard to let go of. You see, God knows the conflicts and he knows the hurts that occur in our human relationships. And he's given us an amazing tool for restoration and for healing. And it's the tool of forgiveness. That love that is expressed in forgiveness, it covers over a multitude of sins. There are even times when a relationship is salvaged. And it's restored even after it's been damaged by adultery. And that itself is a miraculous thing. And it's a long road of recovery and of rebuilding trust, but it happens. Other times, while forgiveness can happen, and it might lead to the restoration of the relationship, other times it simply leads to the healing of the hearts of those who were involved. So forgiveness can happen, but the consequences may remain. Take King David, for example. David repented of his sin. God was gracious to forgive him. But God did not remove the consequence of his sin. And the same can be true of our relationships. Forgiving the person who betrayed you doesn't mean allowing them to do it again. Being forgiven. Doesn't mean that trust is restored. The relationship might even end. But forgiveness allows us to to heal from that hurt and to move on in grace. But whether or not our human relationship continues, we all take heart in this that in our relationship with God, there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is mercy. For you. There's no sin, there's no failing, there's no scorch mark on the carpet that is too great for God to forgive. Even if you find yourselves standing in the ruins of a, in the rubbles of a, rubble of a ruined relationship, even then God has not left you, he has not stopped loving you, and he will never forsake you. In fact, because of his love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world to forgive sinners, to restore the hearts that sin has destroyed, to revive and to reconcile broken people and broken relationships. He's seen the hurt that has been caused by our own sin, and it's been caused by the sins of others, and he's come with healing. He's come to redeem us. I love the way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's true of you. That's true of you. Because of Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, he does not count your sin against you. You are forgiven. And if the sin that's weighing heavy on you is one within the realm of lust and, and adultery, your sin is forgiven. If, you're, if that weight is another kind of sin, your sin is forgiven because Jesus died for you. And I want those words to sink in. You are forgiven. God has redeemed you so that you are no longer a slave to the desires of the flesh. You are forgiven the weight and the shame of your past is no longer yours to carry. It's been taken off of your shoulders. It's been placed onto the shoulders of Christ. You are forgiven, and God has so valued you that he has given you a new and a better life, not one that's focused on self-gratification, but one of service and selflessness. You are forgiven, and all of this is true because Jesus loves you, cherishes you. He went to the cross to suffer in our stead because he sees you as worth it. You were worth the blood and the nails and the abuse and the agony. You were worth all of it so that he could have you in his kingdom. God has reconciled you to himself in Christ, and he does not count your sin against you. And that's the amazing image that's given to us in the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. See, God used them to illustrate his grace and his mercy for his people. It says in verse 1, The Lord said to me, that is the Lord said to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. So here we are, Gomer, all of us, giving ourselves to sin, and yet God is our Hosea. God is the one who always pursues us. He will always receive us back. While others may hear our confession and reject us, God never does. Though a person's love can be fickle and flawed, God's love for us is perfect, and it is forever. And regardless of our human relationships. Our relationship with the Father is fully restored by the grace of Christ. Now, as we conclude the message today, I want to encourage us all to acknowledge that our relational desires, sexual and otherwise, they're gifts, and they're given to us by God. But let us utilize the means that He gives us, that He's provided for us, to meet those desires. Instead of looking outside of the relationships he's provided, let's strive to be loyal, to be faithful, just as God is loyal and faithful to us. And if you've been hurt by infidelity, I pray that, that you'd be able to rid yourself of that bitterness by finding healing in the power of forgiveness. If you feel the weight of guilt, I pray you'd find comfort in the gospel and in the grace that is for you. May God strengthen us all in our relationships through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, you've created us for companionship, and you've placed in us a desire for connection. But Lord, you see how often we fall into lust's trap and try to satisfy those God-given desires in ungodly ways. Forgive us for the sake of Christ. And Father, if we are married, give us a passion that is only for our spouse. And if we're not married, give us self-control to wait for your timing and your provision to allow us to find satisfaction in you. We lift up our relationships to you and pray for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. We Let me continue our worship, the gathering of our offerings.